0: by that prayer thanks Dr. Noor um, for waking us up a little bit this morning and just a reminder um, we have our weekly prayer meeting every Thursday evening and the first Thursday of the month uh, we call it abide we meet at six and it's a prayer and worship time where we sing and pray together we had that this last Thursday and the second Thursday of the month, we pray for our missionaries and the missionary effort of the church throughout the world. So I'd invite you this Thursday evening at five to join us here. And usually Marlene leads us and Marlene will be leading us this week as we pray for the missions efforts. So please come and join us. As you'll perhaps notice this week, we're uh, returning back to Matthew after a month of talking about who we are as the church. And um we're slipping back into perhaps the most famous sermon ever preached and ever written down and to the, the prayer that stands right in the very center of that sermon. And we just need to go back and deal with the last petition because we didn't get to it last time. And it's a petition dealing with temptation and protection. And if, if you think about your own temptations, what are some of the things that tempt you? You don't have to shout them out loud or anything like that. Um, but we heard of a family friend this week who would contracted COVID, and they had a pretty mild case, a young, young, young kid had COVID, pretty mild case. But um, because of how COVID messes with your taste and smell, they were not, they didn't like chocolate anymore. This is a kid who loves chocolate, you know? So like the smell and the taste of chocolate had just gone. And I thought of that for a moment, like how could you not like chocolate? And I know people who don't like chocolate and I don't understand it in any way, shape or form. Because If you put a piece of chocolate in front of me, I can't think of very many reasons for why I wouldn't eat it. And so for me, chocolate is a particular uh, temptation. Now, there's other things that don't, Tempt me. I apologize. We've got, I got kicked off the internet here. All right. Can you? Good grief. Sorry. Yes. Okay. Apologize. Pause. Start again. Okay. Chocolate. So if you ever think about a gift for me or, you know, you know, my birthday's coming up or something. Anyway, that's chocolate. That's my that's one of my temptations. On the other end of that spectrum, I've I've got a friend who's a pastor up in Washington. And this last year, his church gifted him with a sabbatical. And I'm not saying sabbaticals are tempting. Um, But one of the things is he planned out his sabbatical. He had a mentor who told him when you go on sabbatical plan to do one thing that you've never done before. Just as you know, just a, a way to refresh yourself and rest, and just kind of do something new. And so he chose skydiving, and said, "I'm gonna go to skydiving." He went skydiving and loved it, and we'll probably go again. And I looked at him as he's telling me this. I'm like, "Yeah, I'm not tempted to skydive in the least. I have no desire to do it. Probably will never do it unless forced at gunpoint or something like that." Um, and if you've been, you know, if you if you love skydiving, good for you. Not my thing, not my cup of tea. That is not a temptation for me. I've never, I've never been tempted to jump out of a plane. And we have different kinds of temptations, I think, that, that come at us. And so when we read this prayer in Matthew chapter 6, verse 13, this petition of the Lord's Prayer, where Jesus encourages us, commands us, leads us to pray these words and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. All those things that tempt you may come into your mind as you as you think of this, and that's appropriate. But the first thing I want to say about this petition is that it just seems a little bit odd. Doesn't it seem odd that we should come to a God that, that Jesus has told us to treat like a father, right? Pray, when you pray, say, our father. So come to him as a, as a son or as a daughter and come to him asking for him to treat you as a child and come to him like he's a father and ask him for these things. And when you finish, say, God, please don't lead us into temptation. I mean, should we be expecting that God would lead us into temptation if we didn't ask him this? So it seems a little bit odd to me. Do do, do we think that God desires for us to be tempted? Isn't, Isn't it just kind of part and parcel of, of what it means for him to be father, that he wouldn't lead us into temptations. In fact, perhaps that he'd even take pains not to lead us into temptations, and yet we're asked, we're encouraged, we're taught, we're even commanded to ask him not to lead us into temptations. So um, like we often do, it's helpful for us to go back and look at words and what they mean, and uh, no less in this case. And so if you look there at verse 13, it says, lead us not into temptation. And that word temptation is the, is the Greek word perazo. And it's translated here as temptation. But as a word, like many words, it actually has two very similar but distinct meanings. And throughout the New Testament, the same word is translated in different ways. Here it's translated temptation. Other places, it has the meaning and the translation of Testing. Okay, so temptation and testing. And I think quite often in its usage, it can mean both things. It can carry both connotations, the connotation of being tempted and the connotation of being uh, tested. And it seems to carry both connotations here. So another way that we might say this prayer, pray it, or rephrase it, is, Father, do not lead us into times of testing. Father, keep us, protect us from times of testing, because we know already, just from looking at the rest of the New Testament, that God does not tempt us to sin, and he will not tempt us. James chapter 1, verses 13 to 15, the brother of Jesus himself writes this, let no one say when he is tempted, there's that word, perazo, let no one... Say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So we know from the context here that the word here means tempt, that God does not tempt us, God does not try to get us to sin, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully formed, fully grown, brings forth death. And so, there's a temptation here that comes, but it's not something that God would ever lead us to. God does not tempt us. We can't charge him with, tempt, with tempting us. But we do know from the rest of Scripture that something that God does do is that he tests his people. So we look back all the way to the beginning in Genesis chapter 22 and to the very first book of the Bible, and we remember Abraham Remember, Abraham was given a son in his old age, a son named Isaac, whom he loved and who God had promised to to give him a great family and make him a great nation through his son Isaac. And then in Genesis chapter 22, God comes to Abraham to test him, it says. God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and Abraham replied, here am I. And God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love." And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So here's God doing another really odd thing. Something that kind of makes us cringe when we really think about it. And testing Abraham by saying, go and sacrifice your son. A few books later in the book of Deuteronomy, after the people of Israel have wandered in the, in the desert for 40 years, Moses standing on the, on the brink, on the border of the promised land, this new generation of people ready to go in, and Moses is recounting their last 40 years, and he says to them in Deuteronomy chapter 8, you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you, to know it was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So God tested Abraham, God tested Israel, God tests his people. But what God does do is test, he doesn't tempt. So he doesn't pay rodzo in one sense, temptation, he does pay rodzo in another sense to test his people. Here's one clear example of this difference. When Jesus was himself led out by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So if you flip back a couple chapters from Matthew chapter 6, you see that in in chapter 4 verse 1 that the Spirit himself, God himself, the Spirit led Jesus, the son of God, out into the wilderness why? It says to be tempted by the devil. So so God was certainly orchestrating this confrontation that would happen between his son and the devil. The Spirit led Jesus right into it. We could even perhaps say, like Job, Jesus was put to the test, and that test was not only permitted by God, but God was sovereignly and intentionally superintending it. However, it's clear that Like in Job's case in the Old Testament, God was not the one who was doing the tempting. According to Matthew 4, temptation was the job of the tempter in verse 3 of Matthew 4. He's identified as the devil. In verse 10, Jesus calls him Satan. So here we have this evil being who's doing the tempting, but God is using this as a test. And remember, that Jesus' temptation in the desert was was kind of this recap, this this recapitulation, if you will, a reenactment of Israel's own wilderness testing. Moses tells Israel that God had led them for 40 years, testing them, and we can see here that God's intention for Jesus was to test him as well. The Spirit led him into the wilderness for a time of testing, which included temptation. But... Let's back up just a little bit. And I want you to notice in verse 4, the word led, excuse me, verse 1 of chapter 4. The Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. And just as the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness, the, the underlying assumption of this petition is that God is leading those who pray it. Lead us not into temptation. We're assuming that we're being led. We're assuming that it's God's family. As His children, He is our Father. That the expectation is that we're actually following Him. That He's going somewhere and we're behind Him trusting that He's taking us on a safe path. That He would lead us and guide us on the road upon which He wants us to walk. And this this leading assumes a relational trust, that we will follow you, God, we will follow you on the road. But here's, maybe this is what we're asking, God, we'll follow you on the road, but please don't lead us into difficult places. Make our our road smooth, make it broad, make it easy. Why? Because we're too weak, We know that if we come upon trials and temptations and difficult things that we could fall and we would rather avoid those things for our sake, but also, God, for your sake, because we do not want to dishonor your name. And perhaps fundamentally, that's kind of the tenor of this petition is that we're asking God to take us on a road where we won't dishonor his name, where we will bring him glory. So for anyone, though, who's been paying attention to Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount, you know that that trials and persecutions have been promised to his disciples. Doc prayed through a part of the world where that's a very normal part of life, if you follow Jesus. This is part of the road. But even if it's part of the road, it doesn't make us wrong to ask him that we would be spared, that a merciful father would actually spare us those things. So perhaps we could pray something like this. Father, protect us as we follow you on the way. Father, protect us as we follow you on the way. Now, lurking in the background of this petition is this secondary character, which we saw also in the temptation story, the very tempter that Jesus met in the wilderness. And traditionally, if you have the Lord's Prayer memorized, you, you usually say, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, okay, which is an appropriate translation, but the, the word there can actually literally be translated, deliver us from the evil one. And Jesus uses that same phrase, that same wording there throughout Matthew to refer to the evil one, the devil, or Satan. So deliver us from the evil one, Satan, the devil, who is a powerful yet a created spiritual being who was once a servant of God. And as the story goes, in pride, he rebelled against God. He wanted to make his throne higher than God. And and because of his pride, he was cast from heaven and he became God's enemy. Satan, the devil, the evil one, is anti-God. He's against God. He's evil. He's vile. He's violent. He's an accuser. He likes to point his finger. In fact, the word Satan means the accuser. He desires to tempt. Jesus says that he's the one who steals and kills and destroys. And the Bible would witness to the fact that he has power to do all of this. But his power is limited. It's controlled. And in the end, and thank God we know the end of the story, he will be judged and he will be overcome by God. You might recall last Sunday morning when we were having technical difficulties with our wireless microphones, and I had to preach from a, from a, I had to stand still and preach from a, a mic here, um, and all of our wireless microphones were going haywire, and um, we were wondering, is there something in the air, because we've, we need these signals going through the air. Well, and I mentioned it, well, it must be the prince of the power of the air, right, which is another title that the Apostle Paul gives to Satan in Ephesians 2. Chapter two. Now, I am not one who likes to blame things on Satan, um, and I th- I think a lot of, of people do, and I'm not one that likes to do that. So um, sometimes, in my opinion, I think I think we actually give him too much credit. Um, but he is powerful at the same time, and he is trying to tempt. He is trying to destroy. He is trying to to bring us to sin. He is trying to ruin God and His ways and His kingdom, but sometimes I think we give him more credit than he deserves. And when we do that, when we blame things on Satan, including, by the way, our own sin. Oh, whoops, must have been Satan. Satan made me do it. Anybody ever say that? Okay, that's kind of the other side of the coin from the what James was addressing. God made me do it, so Satan made me do it. We blame things on Satan. And I think when we do that, we often miss recognizing the hand of God in the things that are uncomfortable in our lives. So God may be doing something that feels really painful to us. God may be doing something very difficult in our lives. And instead of looking to God and saying, God, what do you want in this situation? How do you want me to grow in this situation? How do you want me to honor and glorify you in this situation? How do you want me to treasure you in this moment We say, oh, that must be Satan. This is horrible. Let me out. Now, Satan certainly is our adversary. He certainly is our enemy and our tempter. But just because we're being tempted doesn't mean that God isn't using that temptation for our benefit, for our testing, for our refining, for our growth, for our purification. Because oftentimes when we're quick to say something like, oh, it's Satan who wants me to do such and such, which could well be true, we oftentimes miss asking ourselves the question, what does God want for me in this situation? How is a father, a good father, intending to use this to test and prove and strengthen my faith? And then does my faith, and the way that I respond in this situation, reflect and display God's infinite worth? And his goodness and his love toward me. Sometimes we just give up and we let ourselves off the hook when we say, oh, it must just be Satan. Because even if it is Satan, God has given us a faith-filled way to respond to him. You know what it is? It's not, not today, Satan. Is that, the, is that what we're supposed to say? Okay, I've seen the t-shirt. Not today, Satan. But 1 Peter tells us, resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings Doc prayed about are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. James 4.7, resist the devil and he will flee for you. What tool has Jesus given us when confronted with the tempter, with the evil one? Resist. We don't have to give in. Resist. So, so far, we've seen that God tests his children and we see that Satan uses these tests as opportunities to tempt us to sin. So the bigger question is, why? What is the purpose of this testing? What is, what's God's intention for testing us? And I think we get a clue. We're actually going to go back to that story in Deuteronomy and the one in Genesis real quickly. But Moses, again, he's, he's telling the people that God was testing them in the wilderness in Deuteronomy chapter 8. And he says, He does this so that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So humbling the people of Israel, humbling them, would help them to see that they couldn't save themselves they couldn't provide manna day by day for 40 years for themselves. They couldn't feed themselves. They couldn't water themselves. They couldn't sustain themselves. They were radically dependent on God for strength, for favor, for provision. And God's testing of them was for the purpose of obedience. And obedience is what results from faith. God was trying to strengthen their faith and create a people who trust Him. Take the case of Abraham, which I referenced earlier as well. So in in obedience to God, God says, Abraham, go sacrifice your son. And Abraham, in obedience, was ready to sacrifice his son Isaac, had him on the top of the mountain, had him on the altar, had the knife in his hands, bringing it down, and God stops him. And he says, I now know that you fear God. What's What's another word for fear God? I now know that you trust me. I now know that you have faith, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. So the purpose of Abraham's test was to clarify his faith. As Peter, the apostle Peter, he underwent his own trials and temptations, didn't he? And he wrote this in 1 Peter 1. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, various Tests so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested, perazzo, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You put something to the test in order to observe and approve its worth and its genuineness. So fire tests the genuineness of precious metals. So trials test the genuineness of faith. And although the tempter, Satan, is motivated to have a sin, in the same moment and circumstance, the tester, God, is intent on purifying and strengthening faith. So so even with Abraham, we have to affirm in that story, if we believe what the scriptures teach us, that God in his perfect wisdom and knowledge already knew the quality of Abraham's faith. It wasn't a surprise to him, but he also knew that Abraham's faith could never have the quality it did without the test. Count it all joy, my brothers, James 1. Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So perhaps we could articulate it in this way. From from God's perspective, tests are intentional and purposeful in order to produce and strengthen faith in his children. From Satan's perspective, these same tests are his opportunity to bring temptations that attack or undercut or weaken our faith or trust in God. I have no doubt that you uh, know people in your life who've gone through tremendous trials and tribulations and suffering. Perhaps you yourself have gone through those kinds of circumstances. And you know people who have completely abandoned any semblance of faith because of the difficulties that have come in their lives. They've, they've turned their back on God. They've said, if this is God, I don't want to have anything to do with him. Perhaps that's been you at a time in your life. And I know others who have gone through severe and serious struggles in their life and their faith has only become purer and truer and stronger because of it. Now, in part, this petition, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, is an appeal to God that we not be left alone. And I I think this is the heart of a father in the midst of our trials and temptations, that we would be confident that as we're following him, as, as he's leading us, we would be confident in his guidance that wherever God takes us, that's the right path. Whatever he brings into our life, no matter how difficult it is, that's the right road. So we, would, we want to be confident in his guidance. We'd also want to be confident that while we're on the journey, we have his presence with us. That he's next to us, not just in front of us. And we would also want to be confident that we have his assistance when the trials come. That he doesn't just abandon us when there's a pothole. So we have confidence in his guidance, in his presence, and in his assistance. We are not alone. And I want to just give you three hopeful reasons for why we can say that in the midst of our temptations and tests and trials, in the midst of when the evil one comes up against us, that we are not alone. And we're not alone in our temptations, first of all, because Jesus, too, was tempted and tried. He knows what it's like. He has taken it on himself and identified with us in it. So Hebrews chapter 4 For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, tested as we are, same word, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We are not alone, brothers and sisters. Our older brother, Jesus, has gone ahead of us and he walks alongside of us. We are not alone in our temptations as well because God is faithful and he always provides a way out. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation or test has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted or tested beyond your ability. But with the temptation or test, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. He is assisting us he is with us in our temptations he is faithful and then finally we are not alone in our temptation because god's will for us his desire for us in it is holiness and sanctification and faith so to say father lead us not into temptation is to say father we do not want to sin against you so please keep us from situations where we would be tempted to sin We don't want to lack in faith, so keep us from situations where our faith might fail. And so at root, this petition is a request for mercy, for grace, and for help in our time of need. And like the Israelites, we would humbly come, and in humility, we'd confess our own need. We need you, God, to protect us. We need you, God, to keep us from sinning. We need you, God, to deliver us from the evil one. And so we come to him acknowledging our weakness, wanting him to guide us around those situations, avoiding those situations where our weakness leaves his honor vulnerable through our potential sin and and for him to be with us as we go through them. So we pray, Father, lead us not into, but out of temptation. So this morning we come... To the table, we come to take communion together this morning. And as we come, would you pray this prayer? Would you pray, Father, lead us not into temptation, but out of temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. And as you come, I would just encourage you to come together by yourself, however you want to come. Come and grab the elements and take them back to your seats to take them as, as we worship together. But go to your Father for help. Now's the time to come to your Father for help in your time of need. Just as in our time of need, in our condemnation for sin, in our utter guilt and misery, Jesus came and he took on flesh and he went through testing and temptation for us to give us grace and mercy in our ultimately need and purchase for us redemption and forgiveness. This is the picture we have at the table of God who is all too ready to help us. So come to your Father and help for help in your time of need. Cry out to him in desperation, because maybe even today it feels like the trials and the temptations are too much. And he desires, your Father desires even more than you do to work and strengthen and purify faith in you. So will you come to the table? Let's pray. Our Father, we do come and we pray along with Jesus, lead us not into temptation, into testing, but deliver us from evil, from the evil one. And we pray this, God, knowing that you're leading us on a journey and we desire to follow you. And oftentimes, if we're honest, God, we follow, we fail to follow you. And that's what gets us into trouble. Our temptation is to take other paths, other routes to figure it out for ourselves. And so, God, I pray you give us the strength to follow where you lead, even when it's hard, even when it's uncomfortable, when it's difficult. We pray that you give us the strength to follow. And as we go through tests and trials and, and tribulations and temptations, God, would you be with us, strengthening us, helping us to know that we're not alone, that you are with us. And God, give us the strength to get through and strengthen our faith. God, we want our faith to show that you are our ultimate treasure, that you deserve the honor and the glory and the obedience. And we come to you today reminding ourselves that you are Father. We are your sons and your daughters, and we thank you for all that you've given, all that you give and all that you will give. In your name we pray. Amen.